Okay, so this is the mystery of the church, part two. We'll be looking at Ephesians 3, 9. Now, keep in mind, Paul started this letter to the Ephesians by talking about the spiritual blessings we have in Christ in the heavenly realm. And it's easy for us Christians to get knocked around and, and feel like, woe is me, things aren't going bad, things aren't going well in this earthly realm. Yeah, but that's, that's not as important. Don't get me wrong. I don't like pain, okay? I don't like poverty, okay? I like being comfortable. I always feel like a rich man when I got to sit down, uh, watching the news, which is usually bad news, in my living room on a chair that actually is comfortable for me in my back and, and sipping coffee. I feel like a, a rich man. So I'm, you know, I'm not saying, you know try to suffer, but the fact is, if you're a believer, there's going to be a certain amount of suffering there. And, um, and when we suffer, it's, it's easy to think, man, I'm, what am I, cursed? This is horrible. Uh, well, you've got to look at your spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. You know, if the Bible is true, if Jesus of Nazareth is who he claimed to be, then uh, you ought to pity Bill Gates. The last I heard, he has not bowed. He has not bent the knee to the carpenter from Nazareth, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You could be the, you could be the wealthiest guy on the planet Earth. If you don't know Jesus, you got spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. This is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Okay? You know, I mean, we, we, we Americans are so spoiled, you know? You could say, oh, you could look and say, man, my neighbor's house, my neighbor's got a bigger house than me, two more bedrooms. He's got three cars in the driveway. I only, only have two. He's got three microwaves. I only have one. You know, yeah, I've got a television set in every room, but two of them don't work, you know? And we're, we're acting like we're going through a Job situation. No, we've been so blessed here on earth that it makes it harder for us to focus on our spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. But Paul wants us to focus on that. He tells us that salvation is a free gift. It's by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. It's not faith plus works, okay? Uh, he tells us that Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ, we are members of one household, God's household, one family. And he says the apostles and the prophets, the apostles and the New Testament prophets, they are the foundation of that church, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, the most important part of that foundation. You know, like the church of Rome, they claim to have, you know, apostolic authority, all that stuff. No, they're, they're, the bishop of Rome is not a the successor of the apostles. Okay? Um, it's apostolic doctrine, not apostolic succession. Okay? If it was, uh, you know, I mean, why, why would Jesus get baptized by John the Baptist? He wasn't recognized in the Pharisaical schools, the rabbinical schools of his day. But Jesus saw this is a man that's bringing people back to God's word causing them to 
encouraging them to repent and prepare their hearts for King Jesus. Okay? And um, so apostolic doctrine. So that's the you know, I'd have no problem with the Church of Rome if they didn't teach all the unbiblical things and the anti-biblical things that they teach. But So, you know, they say, well, you need to be part of the church. What, your assembly? Um, I'm, I am part of the church. I'm part of the church that has as the foundation the apostles and prophets. Not a bunch of popes who, you know, I would not want to be in their shoes on the judgment day. But the foundation of our church, the apostles and prophets, uh, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Paul says he's a prisoner of Christ. He's in prison at this point um, for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And he talks about how God gave him that mission, okay, um, made him a steward of God's grace to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He talks about the mystery of the church, that it was unknown in the Old Testament that Jew and Gentile would be one body of believers. Okay? The Gentiles would not have to get circumcised and convert to Judaism, the Jewish faith. Now they could just come directly through Jesus, through faith in Christ, and both Jew and Gentile make up uh, the church. And this, this was made known by God's Spirit to the apostles and the New Testament prophets. It was not known in the Old Testament. Okay? And um, that the, this mystery that through the gospel the Gentiles would be equal heirs uh, of salvation with the Jews and both are members of one body, um, the church. Paul's humility comes out that he refers to himself as the least of God's people because he persecuted the church, but he said that the reason for his ministry is God's power and God's grace. God has given each and every one of us a, a ministry, okay? But if, you're, if you think you've earned your ministry, okay, no, it's by God's grace. You didn't deserve to be saved, I didn't deserve to be saved, and I certainly don't deserve um, to be uh, serving in God's kingdom either. It's by God's grace. And we also get it done by God's power. It's easy for us to think, oh, I'm so talented, I'm so smart, I'm so hardworking. Remember Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. Nothing. So, you know, when I got saved... Jesus did not look at the angels up in heaven and say, wow, this is, you know, this is like, it's like, uh, you know, drafting, getting the first round draft pick and you draft the, the guy that everybody else wanted. It's like, wow, we got something big here. When I got saved, when you got saved, it's not like Jesus was jumping up and down saying, uh, wow, I got something great here. Uh, but the angels were jumping up and down celebrating that a sinner who deserves hell got saved by God's grace. And, um, uh, but Paul had that humility. We need that humility um, as well. But God called Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now look at verse 9. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9. And uh, 
So God called him to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then verse 9, and to make all see uh, what is the fellowship of the mystery, the koinonia, the fellowship of the mystery, the fellowship of the church, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Okay? So this mystery, the mystery that Jew and Gentile would be one, make up one family of God, make up uh, one household of God, this mystery was hidden in God. But that wisdom of God is now revealed through the church. And it's revealed to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So even the angels look at this and they're, they're like shocked that such a thing could happen. Yet when you look at this verse there, um, it, it, it's, uh, it's real interesting that this is according in verse 11. Look at verse 11 there according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we've, we've got to understand, this is God's uh, eternal plan. Nothing takes God by surprise. God didn't change his mind and say, you know what, um, only the Jews are my chosen people. Uh, only way Gentiles can get saved is to become Jews. Let me, let me, let me go to plan B here. Okay? And, um, no, this was God's plan all along. God foreknew, even before he created, he knew he would fall. He knew he would send his son and provide salvation for us. He also foreknew all the nations would worship false gods. So he foreknew he had to enter into the battle of the gods and select one man and from him raise up, from him and his wife, uh, the promised son, Isaac, and from Abraham and Sarah, raise up God's chosen nation so that the true Elohim, the true creator God, would be known as Yahweh, the I am who I am, the eternal God who's in covenant with the nation of Israel. But now that Messiah has come, salvation goes to all mankind. So Gentiles don't have to become Jews. Now they can remain Gentiles and trust in the Jewish Messiah. If you're a Gentile like me, Jesus isn't your Messiah. Messiah is a Jewish king. It'd be an honor for me to say, hey, I'm Jewish, and Jesus is my Messiah. But the Jewish Messiah, we, we were unnaturally grafted into the olive tree, wild branches grafted in. The, God went among the pagans by using people like the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel and graft us into God's tree, bring us into God's household. And um, um, so, uh, but God foreknew all of this and that eventually people would find out about the God of Israel. Some Gentiles would convert to Judaism and, and trust in the God of Israel for salvation, his promise of salvation, but that eventually when Messiah comes, uh, the, he'd be rejected by the Jews and the gospel would go out to the Gentiles. I'm grateful for that, you know, um, because I'm one of those Gentiles. And um, 
And so, uh, so Paul says in verse 12 that now Gentiles can approach God. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So we have boldness and we have access with confidence. We can confidently access God's throne room. We can go with boldness and confidence because our confidence is in Jesus. We don't boast. We don't deserve to be saved. But in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. And so we can have boasting and confidence in the Lord Jesus and boldly approach God's throne room through faith in Jesus. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. This is one of the reasons why we don't have like an official priesthood. Most Protestants don't have an official priesthood because Peter tells us that we're a kingdom of priests. All true believers are priests. That's because we pray for others because priests offer prayer and burn incense. We pray for others and then the sacrifice we offer is not dead animal sacrifices but living human sacrifices. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. That's our spiritual service of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, but a priest is a mediator, so we're all kingdoms of priests, but our only real go-between between God and men is Jesus. He's the only mediator. I don't, know, I don't need to go down the block and confess my sins to Father so-and-so to be forgiven of my sins. I can boldly go into God the Father's throne room through faith in Jesus. Okay? So 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator. Now the Church of Rome, they're so confused on this. Not only do they have millions of mediators, millions of priests, okay? Um, but now they're talking about Mary being co-redemptrix and co-mediatrix. Like a female redeemer and a female mediator. Ah, no. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's why um, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, no one comes to the Father for salvation except through Jesus. But Paul's saying that also goes for prayer. If you want to boldly go into God's throne room and pray with confidence, that's through faith in Jesus. Okay? He belong, we don't belong in that throne room. He does. And he can get us there. Now, flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If we try to walk into heaven right now, we'd melt being in the presence of God. So we need our mortal bodies to put on immortality and the resurrection will have bodies that can handle it, okay? In between our physical death and the re our resurrection um, will be, our spirits will be in heaven. But, um, but through Jesus, we can boldly enter into the throne room uh, of God through faith in Jesus. And so with boldness and confidence, we can approach God. 
You know, um, we normally fear powerful rulers. Um, you know, most of us, most of us wouldn't have the guts to, the courage to approach a powerful leader and ask him for something. You know, and uh, sometimes you can't get access. They got bodyguards surrounding them. You get a lot of uh, socialist neo-Marxist politicians that want to defund the police because they don't want the police protecting us. But, but boy, they spend tens of thousands of dollars for police protection and bodyguards for themselves. I guess they think they're important and we're not. And um, so it's hard to approach. It's hard to approach a powerful person. Um, they usually have bodyguards and everything and, and all. And, and so how can we say, well, if God is all-powerful, how can we confidently approach him? Well, look at Proverbs 1.7. Look at Proverbs 1.7. Proverbs 1.7. What does that tell us? It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What, what uh, Solomon is saying, King Solomon, is if you want to begin to learn spiritual truth, eternal truth, you've got to start with the fear of the Lord. Okay? Um, I, at one time, questioned God's existence thought I didn't need God, was very liberal in my thinking. But deep in the back of my mind, there was a fear, what, what if hell is real? Okay? So that's the first two things you got to learn in life. You want to get anywhere in life of any eternal value, first two things you got to learn. Number one, there is a God. And number two, you're not Him. Amen. Okay? You're, you're getting pretty close to the kingdom of God once you recognize it. Wait, there is a God... And I'm not him. And I got this guilty conscience. So I know I stand condemned by him. I better look to him for the way of salvation. Okay? And, um, but that's the way we started our relationship with the Lord. You know, we, yeah, I, you know, I fear powerful rulers. Okay? Um... I wouldn't want to see some terrorist leader show up and he's got his guys with him and they find out I'm a Christian. I fear powerful rulers and all. Well, the most powerful ruler is the all-powerful triune God. Okay? Now, the thing is, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay? Now look at 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, how could Paul say that we confidently and boldly can now approach God's throne room through faith in Jesus when the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? So First John uh, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. In fact, let's take verses 17 through 19. 
Love has been perfected among us. John is saying this. The Apostle John, 1 John 4, 17 through 19. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. There's that word boldness again. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him, we love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved us. Now that's a whole mouthful. That's, you could write a book about that. Okay? But my main point here is that we start our relationship with the Lord before you can really understand the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus, you got to acknowledge the bad news. I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I cannot earn heaven. Okay? And I stand condemned by the all-powerful, almighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm actually getting chills right now. Okay? If that doesn't bring you fear, I don't know what does. By the way, Hebrew scholars tell us that fear means just like a, such a high level of reverence and respect that maybe we shouldn't translate it fear. But guess what? Next Bible, next English translation of the Bible, that they translate, I'm not a betting man. If I was a betting man, I'm gonna, I'd be willing to bet you they're going to translate it with the word fear. So Hebrew scholars are nice guys, but if it doesn't mean fear, why do they keep... So yeah, there's, there's a certain level of respect and reverence that we, we don't have a better word than fear for it. But that's how we start our relationship with Jesus. It's like, look, King Jesus, I fear you. You're not that little babe in a manger anymore. You were crucified. We killed you. But you conquered the grave. You rose from the dead. And I believe you're coming back. You're coming back in power and in glory. You're going to shepherd the nations with an iron rod. You have the power. You will determine who spends eternity in eternal torment, eternal conscious torment in the flames of hell. Or who spends eternity in eternal joy and fellowship with you. Okay? Um... We got to come to that point. Some of us probably came to that at age seven, age eight. I fought it till age twenty-one. C.S. Lewis fought it till his forties. But eventually, we got to reach to the point and say, "Look, King Jesus, I fear you. You're the boss. You're the Lamb who was slain, but you're also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You're the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords." You are the boss, the king of the entire universe. And my eternal destiny is in your hands. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then you turn your life over to Jesus. You trust in him 
alone for salvation. You pledge your allegiance to Jesus and he indwells you with the Holy Spirit and begins to change you and cleanse you from within and, from within, and you start walking with Jesus. And you have a bad day and you weep and you just sense the comfort of God. He's with you. He's hugging you. He said, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. She realized that Jesus is still that all-powerful God. But he's a loving God. He's the God of all comfort. Because of what Jesus did, we can come into God the Father's presence. Can you can you imagine it's like the you know the Wizard of Oz? Remember when they were getting close and they were all afraid? Well, the Wizard of Oz turned out to be a phony. You know, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Okay, um, um, I'm telling you, you, better pay attention to the man behind the curtain because there's there's the God Man and two other persons of the Trinity. There's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are not fake. They are real. But the key is, I mean, I mean, we, it, it'd be like having like the roughest, toughest player in the NFL, you know, and um, every offense in the NFL is afraid of that guy, except one offense, his own teammates. They don't have to, now. He might beat up on him in practice, though. So maybe the illustration doesn't hold. But the fact of the matter is, when it's not that God is on our side, we're on God's side. Once we trust in Him, we receive His comfort, and um, and so we can come into the presence of God. So, so you know, we we read that in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. We read that, and it's like, oh, no big deal. No, that's a big deal. You know, would you be nervous? before going to talk to some important, powerful person or, or some big athlete. By, by the way, what I've learned that since becoming a Christian, um, I'm not as impressed anymore like with celebrities. And, um, uh, you know, if I, think I, if, if I think I recognize Bill Russell, you know, former Hall of Fame basketball player, if I think I recognize him in the Seattle airport late at night, I'll walk up and talk to the guy. And if he denies that he's Bill Russell, but I'm convinced that he is, you know, I'll argue with him. And, uh, um, but it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like before I came to Jesus, uh, I wasn't afraid of everybody, but probably almost everybody. Um, I was a small guy, so almost everybody's bigger than me. And, uh, but after coming to Jesus, it's just like, you get that attitude Paul had, you know, what can man do to me? I don't fear man anymore. And uh, we got access to the throne room of God. And uh, I, I'm telling you, this is a big deal. Why? There are a lot of Christians that, that you know, the professing Christians that go, go to little churches and keep dumping on the pastors of little churches. And I wonder, how come the bigger churches don't get that? 
you know, the full-time pastors with the big building and the big staff, because they got an entire paid staff to block for you can't get access. You can't get access to the average pastor uh, of a fully staffed church. We got access to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as you know, no reason for us to say, oh, wow, man, I did a great job getting that access. No, no, no. It was all a grace, and it was through Jesus. And so by trusting in him, we have access into God's throne room. Um, you know, um, FBI agents could come. To this, this government is getting, getting weird, getting scary. We're, we're getting to the point. I'm sure there's a lot of good FBI agents that are great guys. But now we can break down doors. I still don't know what they're trying to charge Rudy Giuliani with, other than he was a friend of former President Trump. So they just bust in your house and take whatever they want. You know? And um, um, that's intimidating. That's scary. Uh, but, you know, so somebody could say, you know, John, I don't like what you're saying. And I got friends in high places. Okay? Well, what should our response be? You know, suppose so, so some guy says, look, I know a powerful congressman, Fernandez, we're going to shut you up. You know? Our response would be, I don't know, I, don't, I, I guess that's, a, that's one of the few godly times that you give an eye roll. And you just go, <laughs> well, whoop, or like Archie Bunker used to say, whoop-de-doo. Okay? <laughs> you think you know persons in high places? You think you're connected? And I don't care if I'm talking to Joe Biden or former President Obama or the Bishop of Rome. You guys all think you're connected. Bill Gates. You think you're connected? You think you got connections? You think you got family? Amen, David. Amen. There you go. That's some, that's some good preaching there. Um, but um, we're the ones that are connected okay but we got to stop looking at things through the eyes of man and seeing powerful politicians and thinking wow they're way more powerful than us we're going to read a little further they're not they're not Paul's going to remind the Ephesians that any one of us if you're trusting in Jesus alone for salvation you have access to infinitely more power than the world's most powerful leaders if they don't know Jesus. And you might say, well, they could kill me. Yeah, they can kill you. But that just ushers you into the throne room of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And and so Paul says that we can boldly, with confidence, boldly have access into the throne room of God through faith in Jesus and the question that, and I look at that and I think, well, well, then why don't I pray more? You know, I'm always trying to figure out how to solve my problems. And it's like, you know what, I ought to just spend more time in prayer. Because Jesus won this access into God's throne room for me. Uh, and for all believers. And then in verse 13, he tells the Ephesians they should not be discouraged 
Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your gl- glory. By the, way, by the way, there's at least one. I wouldn't be, I'd be surprised if there weren't more. There's at least one Canadian pastor that's in prison right now. Because the Canadian socialist government told him to shut down his church. And he said no. And, um, and you know, if, if, if he's allowed to write letters to his people, uh, that's probably one of the things he's telling them right now. Don't lose heart at my sufferings for you. It's for your glory. Okay? And um, so Paul's telling the Ephesians, don't be discouraged. Yeah, I'm locked up because of Gentiles like you. Because I've been preaching to you Gentiles. If I just kept this as an in-house Jewish thing, the Romans wouldn't care. And so Paul says, yeah, I'm, I'm locked up and I'm suffering because of you guys and all. But uh, it is for their glory. You know, they, they should be thinking, wow, a leader in the early church was willing to suffer for them. Okay? We should glory in the fact that there's been Christian martyrs and even Old Testament martyrs who died for preaching the truth throughout the, the millennia. And you might not feel like, wow, they died because, uh, because they loved me. Well, they, you know, they died way before we came into existence, but they knew that the church must move forward, that the gospel must be preached. And, you know, we give so much credit to military guys for risking their lives to keep us free. You know, what we've fought to, to get this freedom, fought to protect it, and now we're just giving it away right now. But whatever the case, we, we're so grateful to our, our servicemen and our law enforcement guys and gals for protecting, um, for protecting us. And... Um, and they're doing that for us. Well, what about all the saints throughout the ages, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, that said, we've got to proclaim God's truth even if we suffer for it. Okay? And, um, and so we should glory. The Ephesians should glory in the fact that Paul loved us that much that not only did Jesus suffer and die for our sins, but Paul was willing to suffer and be imprisoned so that we could get the gospel message. And, um, and so that should, you know, um, you know, we've got this cult of celebrity within the church. We've got our favorite preachers, our favorite defenders of the faith, our favorite singers, you know, whatever it may be. And we, we've got this cult of celebrity just like the world does. But the people, when you look at your rock stars... The people you really want to glory in, pick up Fox's Book of Martyrs. Okay? Read about the persecuted church right now throughout the world. Okay? And, um, and that's all Paul is saying there. Don't be discouraged. Yeah, I'm suffering, but it's, it's, it's for your glory. Okay? And um, look, at, uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says this, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, 
Paul says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Okay? Now, we might think, well, wait a minute, I didn't suffer persecution when I was a believer 10 years ago. Maybe it's coming down now, but I haven't suffered it. No, we, we, we've all, if you're a believer, you're going to suffer persecution. It's just that, you know, the only level, the highest level of persecution we've suffered in America has been people make fun of you and stuff. But now we're getting to the point where people are starting to lose their jobs and their businesses, okay? And they're getting blocked from social media. And um, eventually it's going to be, you know, they're going to be confiscating property. The writing is, is on the wall. Um, but if you desire to live godly and you're trusting in Jesus, you will be persecuted. Okay? And there's different degrees of persecution. And we're going, we've gone up a few notches here in the, in the uh, uh, recent past. And it's only going to get worse unless, unless there's widespread revival that sleep, sweeps our country and overturns everything in the political arena. And I don't see any evidence that that's going to, you know, that that's going on at this point. Uh, Jesus said in John fifteen eighteen, if you find that the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. John fifteen eighteen. So you don't take it personal. That's something I had to learn when I was in law enforcement. I'd pull a guy over for speeding, you know, and um, and I was just real professional with the guy, and I had my little spiel that I'd give him, and. And these, some of these guys would curse at me and yell at me and all this other stuff. You know, I'd, I'd come up and say, uh, good afternoon, sir. My name is Officer Fernandez, Sub-Ace Police Department. I was running radar. Clocked you in doing a 32 and a 20. I'm going to need to see your driver's license and your vehicle registration. You know, if I was planning on citing the guy, I'll tell him up front. I'm going to need to cite you. I need to see your driver's license and vehicle registration. It's before you needed to show your proof of insurance back then. So this goes back a ways. The guy could be cursing me. I don't care. I didn't take it personal. He wasn't mad at me. He was mad at the law and his inability to keep the law. And so he could curse me all he wants. And I just keep saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I need to see your driver's license and vehicle registration. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And by the way, if I didn't tell a guy I was going to cite him, that meant that I'm just going to give the guy a verbal warning. However, I'm giving him the freedom to talk me into writing him a ticket. And then I'll write down, I'll write everything the guy said on the back of that ticket. Okay, you don't want a police officer stops you and asks, why were you speeding? Don't give him an excuse. He's not trying to be nice. He writes that back on the back of the ticket, so if you fight it, he's got your confession. Okay? But whatever the case, I never took it personal. It wasn't really me he was mad at. When you're preaching Jesus, if people treat you like trash... If they hate you, it's not you. You're not that important. I'm not that important, okay? It's not us. They don't like our king. And when you realize they don't like our king, then maybe you'll stop feeling sorry for yourself when they pick on you. And you'll start pitying them. Remember Mr. T used to say, you know, pity the fool? There's a lot of fools in this world who are not bowing before King Jesus. And we need to pity them and love them 
and, um, and, and pray for them. And, um, okay, now Paul begins to pray for the Ephesians in verses 14 to 21. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a passionate prayer. I mean, he's on his knees praying, okay? And, uh, and Paul's not the healthiest guy in the world. He's been beat up so many times. It's not easy for him to get on his knees. So he kneels before the Father, and then he says about God the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense in English, but the letters being written in Greek, and the Greek word for father is pater, and uh, the Greek word for family is patria. It just comes from it. And so he's basically saying, look, the, the whole concept of family comes from the word father. And, um, and he says, and that's in heaven and on earth. I'm telling you, the body of Christ, the church, is all true believers on earth. Okay? But that doesn't mean the Old Testament saints are any less part of the family of God in a very general sense. And during the millennial kingdom, we're going to get to meet some of these guys and gals from the Old Testament and fellowship with them uh, forever. But, uh, but he's crying out. He gets on his knees. He's crying out to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, and by the way, calling Jesus our Lord, Koryos in the Greek, but that goes back to, that's, that's the uh, most common way when the Jews translated the old word, the Hebrew word from the Old Testament, Yahweh, the most likely way to translate it was as Koryas. So he's calling Jesus Yahweh. He's not saying Jesus is less God than the Father, but God is three persons. And so he bows his knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And then uh, he says in verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So Paul prays that God give the Ephesians inner strength. Now this is through the indwelling Holy Spirit. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And so Jesus wants to strengthen us inwardly through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's praying for that, um, uh, praying that we be strengthened through God's Spirit in the inner man. Uh, the, the word used for power is dunamis. And so we get our word dynamite from it. Okay? Um, look at 2 Timothy Second Timothy one seven. Second Timothy one seven. Paul says this to Timothy, and Paul's about to die. So Timothy's probably bummed out. Now I got a minister without Paul, and eventually they're going to come for me. And so Paul says, "For God has not." He's telling him. You know, use the gift that God gave you. 
Use your giftedness to serve God. Verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Some translations say, and of discipline. Okay? So you might consider yourself a weak, elderly, unhealthy person. You know what? Uh, even if the Gestapo comes knocking on your door, don't be afraid. God's given you the spirit of power and of love and of discipline. Okay? And um, if God is for us, who can be against us? There's no reason to fear man. And um, look what Paul says to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 4.20 The Corinthians were all caught up in uh, Greek philosophy. You know, they were, Corinth was in Greece and they thought the Greek philosophers were so sharp. And so when they get a Christian preacher like Apollos who was trained in philosophy... When he would preach there, they'd say, man, this guy preaches more advanced stuff than Paul. And um, they get all caught up in that. And there were some false teachers out there. Apollos was a good guy. But there were false teachers out there too. And uh, they were leading people astray. And, uh, but Paul had to remind them. He said, look, I, I just gave you guys milk because you know, I, I had to keep preaching the salvation message because you weren't getting it. We could have, I treated you like babes in Christ because you were babes in Christ. I could have eventually gotten deeper, but I decided whenever I come and see you, just, just preach the cross of Christ because you're not ready for anything else. Now, as you start maturing, then Apollos, I planted the church, Apollos watered, and then God caused the growth. But they were so caught up in, in words, fancy words, big words, and knowledge, and wisdom, okay, well, Paul, we should, by the way, we Christians should be focused on wisdom. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jesus is our wisdom. Okay? And, um, but whatever the case, he says that uh, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You know, another translation says the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Now, Paul's, Paul knows that he's preaching the gospel with what? Words. So he's not against words, but he's against the words of the Greek philosophers. Even when the Greek philosophers stumble onto the truth, it's not the truth that sets you free. That's the gospel. That's the scriptures. The words of the greatest minds in the world, past and present, the words of the Greek philosophers um, can't save you, can't transform you, okay? And, um, and we gotta, we've got to remember that when we're brothers and sisters, when this government starts cracking down on us, okay? That's one of the reasons why we really don't want to be tied down to like a 30-year a mortgage or something if in two years the government outlaws Christianity and we've got to start secretly meeting in the homes anyway. So we've got to be very careful in our decision making there and really seek um, God's will um, on, the, on the topic. Um, but the, when everything's said and done, the kingdom of God is not consistent in words but in power. 
The infinite power of God. Okay? Um, and so, Paul wants us to have, just like he wanted the Ephesians to have this inner strength, this inner power of the Holy Spirit, the power that transforms lives. Okay? The, the power that saves and transforms lives. And uh, the whole the whole aspect of inner strength, God's laws, just read Jesus' Talmud. That's Jesus' interpretation of the Old Testament law. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The Jewish Talmud is based on what the Pharisees taught in Jesus' days and before. So Jesus said, you have heard eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but truly I say to you, turn the other cheek. He wasn't slamming the Old Testament. He was slamming the faulty interpretation of the rabbis of his day. Okay? And telling them, no, when I wrote that in the Old Testament, this is what I meant. And what it turns out, the, rab the rabbis, it's like in the Sermon on the Mount, it says that, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you have no part in my kingdom. Well, these guys outwardly Paul, even as a non-believer, outwardly was blameless. He outwardly obeyed God's law. But Paul knew he was, you know, he found out the hard way he was a sinner, deserved hell. Why? God demands outward obedience, but he demands that that outward obedience comes from the heart. Okay? So we can, we, God doesn't want us to just outwardly do the right things. Chris talked about that during the praise and worship. Don't think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to heaven because I got good church attendance. Well, having good church attendance is good, but you got to obey God from the heart. You got to come to church not because you think you have to. You got to come to church because you want to, because you love Jesus. You, you love the Lord. You love His Word, and you love His people. Okay, and. Um, and so, but God wants us to obey him with, with, from within. Don't be like the Pharisees who clean the outside of the bowl and they leave the inside dirty. Don't be like the Pharisees who are whitewashed tombs. Outside they look white and clean, but inside they're filled with the stench of dead men's bones. Okay? Um, and so Paul prays that God give the um, Ephesians this inner strength through the indwelling Holy Spirit, so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Verse 17, look at Ephesians 2 and verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded uh, in love. And so Paul wants Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. We need to be rooted and established in love. Love is seeking the highest good for others without seeking anything in return. We need God's agape love poured out in our hearts. Um, we've got what we do. We, we've got, you know, Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay? Um, in fact, in, in Galatians... Paul talks about that in Galatians 2, verse 20. Look at Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, uh, 
but Christ lives in me. That's what Paul wants that for us. He wants that for the Ephesians. He wants it to no longer be Phil Fernandez walking around and living out his own life. I have been crucified with Christ. Phil Fernandez has to recognize the old Phil Fernandez is dead. The old Phil Fernandez was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And now it's the new creation. I'm a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 So I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live how? By faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? So how, how can Paul say Christ lives, lives in me? It's no longer... I, you know, we want to say that about ourselves. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. How do you do that? Paul says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. If you want Christ to live in you, you have to say, look, I'm not going to trust in myself or the wisdom of man. I'm going to trust in Jesus and his word for guidance in daily living. I'm going to live not for myself, but for Jesus. I'm going to go where Jesus wants me to go. I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to say what Jesus wants me to say because it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Through what? Through our faith in the Son of God. We, we have to trust Jesus more than we trust our own judgment. Now, it looks like I'm not going to finish this passage uh, today, so we'll pick it up next week, but I do want to close with this. You know, Paul prays that God give the Ephesians this inner power, this inner strength through the Holy Spirit so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith and so that they would be rooted and established in love. Okay? How did the Ephesians do on that? Look at Revelation chapter 2. Revelations chapter 2. It depends when you date Revelation. Most Bible scholars and pastors date the book of Revelation um, to the uh, late 80s, early 90s AD. Uh, I'm, I'm very open Depends on when you date the Didache, the teaching of the Twelve Apostles. Um, I dated in the 60s AD. They're already quoting it, the book of Revelation. So I'm open to the possibility that the book of Revelation was written before 70 AD. But whenever it was written, it was years, at least a few years, maybe a few decades, depending whether you accept the earlier date or the later date. But, uh, but Paul wanted them to be rooted and established in love. And in Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? That's the same Ephesian church that Paul wrote to. These things, says, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, this is Jesus, this is his, his message to them. He says, I know your works, 
your labor, your patience, and that you could not bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and found them liars. You have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. That, man, that sounds good. These guys were the, like the counter-cult experts of their day. They were refuting heresy. They were doing apologetics, defending the faith. They were exposing false apostles and false teachers. They were grounded. I mean, they had Paul had planted their church. They had high-ranking Christians and, uh, and apostles that had taught them. So they knew heresy when they saw it. They grew in the knowledge of the Lord. And the Lord Jesus was saying, hey, yes, you've grown in my knowledge. But then look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Paul wanted them to grow in knowledge and love. They grew in knowledge, but eventually they lost their first love. Was that first love? Probably their first love for Jesus. Their first love for uh, Jesus' people. You know, I always go back to when I got saved in 1981, how much I loved Jesus. I mean, I'm telling you, you catch flack when you're a Marine who's walking around in uniform on duty singing, uh, you know, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad, you know. And I wasn't like, I don't know what word I use, but I wasn't as mature then as I am now. So when guys would make fun of me, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't get to turn the other cheek part down. Put it, put it to you that way. So eventually they just say, look, that's, that's Corporal Ferno, just let him... You know, he just does that. He just sings songs about Jesus. Just leave him alone, man. You can make fun of him behind his back, but not in front of him. But, you know, eventually, you know, I, I started learning how to turn the other cheek. But, but whatever the case, uh, um, how, how many of us, how many of us, you know, we, we could say, you know what? Pastor Phil, you've been preaching the word, and Pastor John and Pat and Willis, you guys have been preaching the word, and and Chris has been leading us in praise and worship, and over the decades, we have grown in the knowledge of the Lord. Hey, you want to go um, out uh, witnessing with me tomorrow? Nah, nah, I'm, oh, I'm going to just you know sleep late or whatever. Maybe you need to sleep late. Who, who, who knows? Hey, you want to go to that uh, men's breakfast and stuff like that and fellowship with other guys? Oh, no, you know, I'm... You know, I got other things to do. I want to wash the car or whatever. And I'm not saying those are bad, but if, there, if, it's, if that's all we ever do, will we kind of, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, a guy and a gal are dating and they want to see each other like seven days a week. And then they get married and the first year they want to see each other seven days a week. Then after a while, they don't want to go out anymore and stuff. You could lose that first love. You got to get that back. And so I hope and pray that with Trinity Bible Fellowship, um, I hope and pray that we won't say, well, you know, we've really grown in the knowledge of the Lord. Yeah, but do you still love Him? You know, guys, do you still love your bride as much or more than on that day that you said, I do? Church is the bride of Christ. We said I do to Jesus. I think, I think we would agree 
We were really, really in love with Jesus. We were really, really in love with Jesus. And, um, but do we still have that first love? That first love for Jesus? That first love for other believers? And that first love for a fallen world? Well, we want to go out and reach them with the love of Jesus. So I'll close with that. You know, it's my hope and my prayer that we haven't lost, like the, uh, like the Ephesians. By, by the way, Jesus is going to tell the Ephesians, you don't get back that first love, you know. You know, I'm going to remove your lampstand. It's my hope and my prayer that Trinity Bible Fellowship's lampstand will not be removed that we'll shine our light in the midst of the darkness of our community until King Jesus comes back. Um, but uh, that's what we'll focus on this week, um, that love. Let's not lose that first love. And if we've lost it, let's get it back, okay? That first love we had for Jesus on the day that we got saved. And so it's like, it's like fear, fear of the Lord, but now we can boldly enter God's throne room uh, because now it's a personal love relationship. Let's get back to that first love that we had with Jesus, and next week we're going to be talking about that power. This is all in the mystery of the church. Okay? We love because he first loved us. And now we got access into God's throne room, but we're going to be talking about what kind of power and how much power we have access to. And I'm telling you, it's a power that Bill Gates... Former President Obama, um, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, it's a power that they've never had and they never will unless they come to King Jesus Amen. on bended knee. That's right. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just pray, Lord, that uh, we would increase in the knowledge of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We Gentiles are so grateful that you've united us with believing Jews, um, the community of faith, the household of faith, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Um, but I pray, Lord, that um, and we thank you so much for the boldness to, to come into your presence. And we thank you for the love that you poured out in our hearts, but may we never lose that first love. And you've empowered us, Lord. May we use the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to be all that you called us to be. To live for your son, Jesus, and not for ourselves. To build your kingdom, not our own. And to bring glory to Jesus and not ourselves. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would pour your love uh, into our hearts anew. And cause us to get back to that first love that first love of your son Jesus, that first love of other believers, and that first love of all the others that you've created as well, Lord, so that we can lead them to Christ. Return to us that first love and empower us to be your people, to be your ambassadors in a world gone mad. Just give us the, the strength and the perseverance that we need to endure the trials ahead and to be all that you called us to be. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.